comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Podcast episode 113. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined tonight by Aaron Newworth, Jim Dietz, and Russell Latham to talk episode 413 of The Walking Dead alone. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing great. Pretty good. Welcome to White Trash Brunch. Can I take your order? <laughs> With a side, of, side of pig's that's feet. not so. pickles, pig's feet. Diet soda, pig's feet. <laughs> Jelly out of the jar. Mm. Uh, is there anything we need to get to before we jump into it? I I feel like I want to say something about last week's episode since I was I would have vehemently opposed you guys and your praise for it, but I, I'm kind of past it at this point. I was happy with this episode, so I'd rather get to that. Well, then let's talk about this week's episode. Like I said, this is episode 413 alone. Uh, it was directed by Ernest Dickerson, which means there's a good chance Aaron liked it, and it was written by Curtis Gwynn. So we start off with what will eventually be shown to be a flashback, although it's not 100% clear in the beginning. It could have been a flash-forward of some type. Uh, but we see Bob, and he's on his own. He is, you might even say, alone, and he is wandering around, finding shelter where he can. Uh, he, he's very clever about uh, finding shelter under a bridge, uh, finding different stuff he can eat or drink, uh, including some NyQuil or off-brand sleep aid, cold-fighting medicine stuff. And then one day after... All this, just walking around by himself, fighting zombies, surviving. He's approached by Daryl and Glenn, who, no offense to them, but came off as extremely creepy, and I would have been very much ready to pull out a gun and shoot them if I had to in Bob's uh, situation. Uh, but they ask him the three questions, and then they let Bob join them, and they head to the prison. There was a, I really liked this sequence. There was a one, this one part where um, he, he's under the, I think he's, when he's sleeping under the bridge and he get, gets woken up by a walker. And he just has this like thousand yard stare. It's kind of this glassy look. He's just looking at the well, that's walker. That's because of the NyQuil. Right, right. But I mean, the actor obviously didn't drink a bunch of NyQuil, I would hope, to, to, <laughs> to get the same effect. But Their method a, on The Walking Dead, Jim, I don't know. Well, I mean, it could be method. I don't know. Is Ilya Kazan's <laughs> ghost there on the set or something? Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there, yeah, there's a joke for Aaron. Anyway, but that look, that, that look that Lawrence Gilliard had um, when it, when he, you know with that Walker just you know, you know like inches from his face, he just that glassy kind of uh, thousand yard stare. I really uh, that that one scene just made a really big impression on me. I really liked this opening part and kind of fills us in on how Bob joined the group because we really didn't get that before. I'm having some fun with you, Jim, but yeah, that actually was my favorite kind of set part of the episode of just in terms of kind of the shot, because I really liked um, the kind of Bob putting together that makeshift fence. And then you have that shot of the, the walker, like his arm reaching through. That's really cool. And then Bob giving him back that what I dubbed it in a very emo stare. But I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was very kind of effective way to show Bob's his thought, like what what's going on with him. He seems he obviously seems lost and um, it helps us. This, this is an episode. You know, that's very much about Bob and Sasha, among others that we'll get to. But uh, it, it was just a it was a nice, cool intro to this episode and to this character who we know, you know, not that much about that. You know, it would be nice to get to know more of. And um, what's the other thing I was going to say? Yeah, the uh, shot of oh, him on I, top of the tractor trailer, too, was really memorable. That was, yeah, there's some, yeah, some really cool up above him. It almost looked like he was making a dirt angel or something. So, yeah, some very <laughs> very cool shots of him by. kind of alone. Yeah, very cool yeah, indeed. I really liked the, oh, I remember. I was very happy with this opening of a lone character wandering lost, as opposed to the governor who had you know the ridiculous beard going on and just you know, <laughs> didn't care about. Like this is a this is a much better better kind of way to convey that kind of character state. 
So after the opening credits, we head to the present day where Bob, Sasha, and Maggie are surrounded by walkers and mist in the woods. And this is, of course, the scene we were talking about last week that we had seen in the in the previews for this episode and on The Talking Dead. Uh, super creepy. You can't see what's coming. Apparently, neither could the, uh, the actors. They said that this was really a lot of smoke being pumped in or steam or whatever just being pumped in so they couldn't see. And it was super effective. They fight off the walkers. One of them nearly bites Bob, but bites his bandage instead. And uh, after they fight off the walkers, Sasha tends to Bob, and a relieved Sasha embraces Bob, and the three later agree that they must find a better place to set up camp. Or just climb some trees. I don't understand why in the show nobody ever climbs trees when they're in the woods. It seems like such a no-brainer. No. Carry a rope. You can shimmy right Zombies up there. Zombies can't climb trees. I know. That's what I'm saying. And what, was all this mist like a visual slam on uh, on Darabont? <laughs> what if that was true? Um, that's amazing. Um, not even the mist had this much mist. But go ahead, please. I'm sorry. I digress. Not, not everyone's that adept at climbing trees, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but surely somebody is. Do they I'll tell you what, you put a fifth of Johnny Walker trees. Red in that tree, Bob will be up in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Did they seem like very climbable trees? I didn't really focus on the type of tree. Was... Uh, it, I'm more just joking, but I, <laughs> I, I have noticed that for all the times they're being chased by walkers in the woods, nobody ever, I don't think we've seen a single person in the show ever climb a tree. And it just seems like a no-brainer to me. There's also the what next after you climb the tree, like you get down and what, like there's still walkers there. Knowing well, you the tree. take them out with a machete, climb to another tree. Haven't you seen The Hunger Games? Come on now. <laughs> or I guess read the book, because that's more of a factor in the book. I digress. I mean, tracker jackers would make things a lot easier, but <laughs> Yes, <laughs> drop a, a beehive on them. Come Welcome on. to The Hunger Games uh, podcast. Oh, wait, I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, the HGTV podcast. You didn't know this? <laughs> the, the Home and Garden Television Network podcast? That's obviously what I meant. <laughs> Uh, so we then head over and catch up with Beth and Daryl, where Daryl has resumed teaching Beth how to shoot, uh, shoot a crossbow, only this time while not being drunk and really creepy, and he's also teaching her to how to track. Uh, they find a clearing where there's a walker eating an animal. Beth tries to shoot the walker, but she steps in some type of animal trap, and Daryl intervenes and kills it. And uh, he then carries her part of the way until they get to a graveyard, being overlooked by a large house, and uh Daryl carries her right inside through the graveyard. After they share a moment by a gravestone that just says, I believe it was Beloved Father, and they both kind of have a little moment, and Daryl puts flowers on it because he's sweet like that. Creepy graveyard house in the middle of the forest. I, I think any house that can be described as a graveyard house is going to be creepy. Mm. I mean, it's, it was a you know a funeral parlor, so I mean, it has an, an obvious purpose, but I, I know you know that, but... um. Because I don't want to hark back to last week too much, but I liked this yes, episode. I liked this episode's use of Daryl and Beth a lot more. The relationship is clear to me, and you can argue that that's because of last week. I wouldn't, but I do think it. The seeing them be you know comfortable with each other to the extent that they are, and have them have this interplay while also kind of progressing a narrative forward are things that I enjoy about seeing them together. It helps that Emily Kinney also stepped up. I, I don't think she's been. A great asset to the show, acting-wise, and I feel like this episode was her best display yet of acting. So, I mean, it it just kind of all worked out for me. So we then head back to Maggie, Sasha, and Bob, who they reach the train tracks, and they see a sign inviting survivors to Terminus. I believe it's the same sign that Tyrese, Carol, and the girls found, although there are a lot of signs, but... It looks the same. If it's not the same sign, it's definitely like written by the same person or made to look like the same sign. You subscribe to all tour sign theory? <laughs> sure. They they do actually look all the same, which almost makes me question if they just grab the That's same sign and put it in different That's incredibly racist, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. It's making me. <laughs> 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 oh sh. Um. It was the first. <laughs> I was so unexpected. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the same sign. It. it kind of looks like it's been the same sign they've taken from each set to to use again and again or they just have a great printing service at the at terminus so we'll see i guess but. <laughs> terminus has its own governor Gun governor gutenberg who's very much into his printing presses they have the daily walker that's the last surviving king the last surviving kinkos <laughs> yeah. 
So when they see the sign, Bob realizes, oh, I've heard something like this message before, and he tells them about the broadcast that he, Tyrese Daryl, and Michonne had heard over the radio way back in the beginning of the season. Mm. And they're like, well, well, what did you, what did, why didn't you mention anything about this? And I thought he actually had a pretty good response, which was, A, literally didn't remember it till now, and B, I couldn't understand what was coming over the radio. It's only by seeing the sign now that I'm putting two and two together. So hopefully clearing up anything for the audience of, yeah, that's a good point. Why didn't you bring this up earlier? Well, and... Like, see, when would they have had a chance to discuss this? Like, the second right. those, like yeah. that group got that's back, true, that's true. the governor, like, came in and, like, ruined everything. <laughs> like... So Maggie wants to go to the community of Terminus because she hopes Glenn's going to be there. Sasha disagrees, saying that there's not any good reason why Glenn would have even have seen the sign. But Bob sides with Maggie, and Sasha is forced to concede. It, it's the start of, you know, the kind of Bob-Sasha sessions of this episode, but it's a... I mean, it's effective. It obviously it's it's moving these characters towards where the where many of the other characters are going. I mean, it's a it's a nice way to kind of introduce drama for this particular episode while also keeping the characters moving. I mean, these are things that I enjoy about the series because we are going to get some character work, but we all are also proceeding to a very specific end point in the long run. The thing I enjoyed about it was they didn't try to pack too much more into it. You know what I mean? Like we don't. Yeah. It wasn't you know going from Bob, Sasha, and Maggie to Beth and uh, Daryl and then to Rick and Carl and then to Tyrese and his group. It's, you know, just these two storylines um, playing off each other. And it's cool. I mean, we'll definitely see toward the end of the episode how they keep playing into each other and kind of intertwining in different places. Yeah. Although this is another episode. Was this three or four now without Rick? That's such a weird thing. I'm, I'm, it's not a problem. Don't get me wrong, but it is so weird to have him not be in these episodes. It's nice to see AMC have the confidence to yeah. realize that there is an ensemble cast here. People watch this show in record numbers. Maybe we should have them actually embrace some of the other characters and not just Rick and Carl's story. Right. That may not <clears throat> work all the time because all these characters are not inherently interesting necessarily, but it is nice to you know have some regard for some of these specific people, especially ones played by you know the the you know fairly talented cast that we have on you know on hand here that have otherwise not gotten a whole lot to do on this show. And it would have been really easy to fall in that trap that they did in some of the episodes, in epi- I think in season three I'm thinking of, um, where they were juggling like nine, ten, eleven different characters in the ensemble and trying to give everybody a little bit of face time and something to do and something pertinent to the plot to have for them, you know, for them to, to you know, string on to the next thing instead of like, you know, last episode was just Daryl and Beth. This episode is just, you know, the, th- the group of three and the group of two. You know, they're not trying to keep all these balls juggling in the air. They're, and it gives them time to, to really, like, like Aaron is saying, get these good character moments, get this good character work in, you know, as they're going to the next big plot point, which is obviously Terminus. Right. And it's, it's also just nice for the series in general. I mean, we've watched, I mean, mm-hmm. this is the fourth season of The Walking Dead. It's easy to see the same basic thing, and this is a completely different strategy where we've had, you know, what for that was this the fifth episode of the fourth or fifth episode of the, of the post governor season and i mean right. it's 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 all been in the same style with the exception of the second one which is more of a kind of here's a montage of every different character in the show and here's the kind of a starting point but now you know we've had these follow-up episodes that are really delivering on what each of them have been up to and that's completely different than season two per se where you have a farm full of characters and we watch every single one of them every week. So. Right. And I mean, I know you weren't here last week, but just real quickly, I mean, some of my favorite episodes of this show have been the character, the ones that have focused on just a few characters on eight miles out or, you know, Nebraska or, um, you know, um, you know different episodes. Clear. Like that. Yeah. Or clear. Yeah. Another good example. You know, a lot of my favorite episodes have been the ones that single out just a few characters and, and concentrate on them. I really appreciate when they do that. So, even the the pilot. I mean, the that's what the pilot yeah. episode is. Yeah, like, it's idea. exclusively yeah. focused on, and yeah. it's because I like them too, and because I so because I, I don't want to confuse my my dislike for not even dislike, but just I guess fair mild disappointment for last week's episode with the idea that I need to have Walker action every week because I think people clearly know that that's not the case. I I am a big fan of these episodes. I've been arguing for having more of these types of episodes. It just comes down to how effective I think they're accomplished. And yeah, you gave me something that I you know, enjoy last week, but I didn't necessarily like it all the way. This episode, it's in that same kind of style, but I liked it more. So I, I just like the mix of characters that we're getting. These aren't folks that we would typically think of working well together. And so it's it's really cool to see the way they mix and matched. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Seeing Tyrese with Judith, you know, 
<laughs> as far as you know, juxtaposition yeah. or whatever. It's funny because that's actually the story I'm most intrigued by, and we haven't dealt with it since the second episode of this postseason yet. <laughs> so I like, I really want to get back to that, and I hope that I believe that happens next week. So, well, being a big guy with a with a beard, uh, with a baby, I could definitely relate to that storyline probably the most. So, and being a you know seven year old murderer myself, I definitely <laughs> you, got, you really you really into Lizzie yeah. then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> And being a 12-year-old pudding lover, I'm really into Carl this season. <laughs> so back with Daryl and Beth at the funeral home at the graveyard. Uh, they go inside, and they're immediately kind of taken aback by how clean everything is. They find a stockpile of food. There's no dust on it, etc. And they assume somebody's living in it. Uh, but they, throughout the whole episode, never encounter that person, uh, as far as we know. Um, but they explore, and they find a bunch of bodies dressed up like four funerals. One of them's even in a casket, uh, in addition to all the food and stuff that they find. And Daryl takes, uh, takes a chunk off the face of one of the yeah. formaldehyde bodies. <laughs> yeah, that was a good moment that I quite <laughs> yeah. enjoyed. It's funny, you mentioned the people that never come around that obviously have been a part of this place, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, at the end of this, when we discuss theories or whatnot, but... The episode did a good job of making me kind of forget that there are going to be people. Like, it's a ticking bomb, obviously. Like, something has to happen involving who is living at this house. But I actually kind of forgot about what was for, you know, the short time that we're at this location. I forgot about the fact that probably people are going to come back. So I was generally surprised uh, when, you know, things happen the way they do at the end of this episode. Oh, see, now I – now that still surprised me with, with what happens at the end. Yeah. But I never forgot, like, when they're playing the piano and sleeping in a casket, I was like – what are you doing? If somebody walks in right now, not only have you taken their food and are taking where they're living, but you're being disrespectful of their weird death fetish? Like, this is all going to be a problem if that family or whoever is living there comes back. It's called the Goldilocks Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> it also, Jim, did it remind you uh, at all of that book we read? Uh, way back in the day, in early parts of this podcast, we interviewed a writer. John, Jonathan Mayberry, yeah. Dead Jonathan of, dead, Mayberry, dead yes. Yes, did it remind you of that book with the with the the funeral home and everything? Yeah, kind of that part of the book. Yeah, it did kind of remind me of that. I remember reading that a few years ago when we had him on. Yeah, I um I just thought I, my favorite line in this whole part was when uh, uh, Daryl climbs into the coffin to go to sleep. Yeah, he's like, "This is the most comfortable bed I've had in years." <laughs> I just thought it was pretty funny, but and probably true. Probably true. That's what probably made it funny. You know, that and the uh, white trash brunch, you know, thing. Just things from Daryl's life. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, we head back over to Maggie's group. Uh, they're setting up camp, and uh, Maggie's not there, so Bob asks Sasha where she is. Sasha says she's getting firewood, and Bob asks Sasha, do you want to stop, or do you want to go to Terminus? And she says sh she wants to stop. She says she wants to su survive. She thinks Glenn's probably dead, and they need to stop at the first town they come across and set up residence, like on an upper floor or something. They need to focus on themselves surviving and not finding other people who may or may not be dead. And the next morning, Sasha and Bob discover a note from Maggie saying she's going to Terminus. She doesn't want them to risk their lives. Don't follow her. And they decide to anyway. So this is the episode we find out that despite not making very good life decisions for himself, Bob is really good at giving advice to other people, which is not exactly unheard of. I know a number of people, I might even include myself in this, who can give good advice and we don't follow it ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, can, I see that for sure. And... I wouldn't say Bob's like a favorite character of mine necessarily, but I he mean, might be for me after this episode. He kind really like he, he's certainly ranking high up there in turn, and at least in most intriguing, he definitely is because I don't, I don't necessarily see Bob as like a. I know some people find Bob like creepy or like there's something that we just don't know that's dastardly about him. I don't necessarily believe that, but I do think that not giving us like the explicit like I was in this group and this happened, just letting us know that he was obviously with other groups and bad things went down, why he's the lone survivor, I don't know. But I don't necessarily care at this point. I'm just intrigued by his presence, and I think that has to do largely with how they're writing Bob's character, how they're dealing with the you know the addiction aspect of his character, and because Lawrence Giller Jr. is just a good actor. I mean, oh, yeah, he's great. I, um, there's a scene coming up, and if you, you know, I don't want to jump the gun too far, but when um, you know, Sasha's asking Bob why he's been smiling or whatever, and he says, you know, he goes into the whole thing that you're talking about, uh, Aaron, he says he's, you know, he's not alone, and that just ties in so well to that opening sequence, you know, when he is alone. He's just incredibly alone, you know, horribly alone. It's really good acting on his part. For sure. I 
I have my own theories on what I think is going to come of Bob in this season, but I'm, I'm just I'm I'm happy with what I've what I know about this character now, and I don't necessarily need to have kind of a long winded flashback story of how he got to be the way he is. So Maggie follows the train tracks, just like we've seen a bunch of other characters do. She comes across another sign for Terminus. Uh, a walker approaches her, and so she gets lets it get close, and then she kills it pretty easily, and then she decides to cut its stomach open with a gleam in her eye right before it cut the commercial. Which left me going, wait, what now? Uh, what was your guys' reaction to what she was doing before it was revealed what she, in fact, did? Oh, I figured it out. <laughs> I was like, oh, she got a bigger pen. But uh, it was nasty. I mean, you know, you're saying, oh, yeah. put sticking your hands in somebody's belly. Like, that's never good. <laughs> you think there'd be the one thing that'd be left after the zombie apocalypse would be pens and markers? <laughs> <laughs> well, she had, a, she had a pen, right? Or was that her. her knife or whatever why would she have a pen didn't she what was she going to mark on it before she got to the zombie well, i don't know that she necessarily thought about leaving a note until that's what she was going to do that's what she, she she was at the wall or whatever and she was going to mark some kind of indicator and then she saw the zombie and kind of changed her mind on how to approach doing that i mean i i don't know that the wikipedia article is necessarily correct but it's saying she had made her way to the next sign down the down the train track I don't know that she was necessarily. I mean, I you could be right. I don't. know. I mean, I, but, I uh, watched it a couple times. <laughs> I was okay. Uh, she she was clearly walking to like the blank spot on the thing. She was going to mark it with something, and then she saw the walker and was like, "Well, well, that's a, just a bigger way to. That's a that's a bigger way to show text and with big broad <laughs> red letters as opposed to like me. That'll be scr- easily visible via me, camera. Yeah, but she might have been trying to like scratch it in or something with one of her tools. But yeah, I thought it was. That I mean, that's that's what I that's what I saw it as. Yeah. She was gotcha. going to leave some kind of indicator, uh, some kind of message for Glenn. There was a split second where I thought she was like just like checking zombies to see like if there's any survivor, like any evidence of people inside of them or whatever. I was like, that's not going to do it. And then I realized exactly what. See, where my mind went for some reason was, wait a second, was Maggie pregnant and either I forgot or we haven't been told? And this is some weird catharsis by chopping out these womb area of a female zombie jeez no That's like it. i <laughs> wow or, or, or we maybe we didn't know she was pregnant and she lost it in the battle or something where she thinks she did or that was where my mind went and i was like this is weird because there was like a glint of almost glee in her eye as she was doing that and so yeah, i was very happy to see what the actual reveal was let me just say that because my mind went weird places all right it usually does. <laughs> yes, it usually does. Usually not that weird, though. I didn't quite read that same emotion, but I, I, could, I guess I can see where you're getting at. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I would not put it past the show to do something like that. I would hope there'd be a little bit more setup for it, but well, I would we'll, not be surprised. We'll wait till next week when we get back to a little child killer and see what kind of glee she has yeah, in her eyes. Yeah, exactly. After watching a baby get smothered for five minutes on television a couple yeah. weeks ago, th- this would not surprise me. So Sasha and Bob are still back talking and and, uh, and trying to find Maggie. And Sasha asked Bob, like you said earlier, I believe it was Jim, uh, why have you been smiling this entire time since leaving the prison? And Bob responds, it's because he's not alone. After his first two groups are wiped out and he had, you know, just been on his own walking the countryside, he's happy to have finally broken that streak. And that's when they come across the walker that Maggie killed and find a message she wrote to Glenton in the walker's blood telling him to go to Terminus. She better be hoping it doesn't rain before he gets there. <laughs> I figured he was smiling. I figured he was smiling because it was, you know, a nice day outside. But no, I could, you know, it's what I, I think it's clear that Bob, you know, he's he see, he sees purpose in his life. I think that's where it's coming from, and that's another thing that I enjoyed about it. I mean, it, this episode is largely focused on not necessarily like the dourness of a situation, at least for the Bob side of things, but kind of more of a hopeful aspect, which is something, it, you know, it's nice to see every now and then on The Walking Dead, a show that's constantly, you know, focused on the dour. Um, <laughs> so having, a, having an episode focused on a character who's actually found purpose in his life and, you know, going over going over the ideas of what it means to have people with you as opposed to going it alone those are those are ideas that work well in the kind of web of the series that explores what it is to kind of survive in a world that's full of death well and if last week's episode was about um, the need for a mission the need for something keeping you going forward this episode was all about the need for companionship while you're doing that yeah I agree and I thought it worked very well it's like two sides of the same coin. Bob and Daryl both need something to keep them going on. Which is reflected in this episode as a whole. You, I can see why the kind of Beth Daryl storyline goes with this 
Bob Maggie Sasha storyline because they're both while they have different results they both revolve around groups that are somewhat dependent on the fact that they are together at, instead of alone and so Daryl obviously gets into this bad spot and makes a decision that affects the how that status goes given that he loses one person and gains more people but Bob on the other hand he's essentially fighting to keep that core group together as it is. Meanwhile, with Daryl and Beth, speaking of them, Daryl carries Beth into the kitchen. Again, at first I was like, wait, what? And then I remembered, oh, right, she screwed up her leg with serious, the animal trap. Serious, serious piggyback. <laughs> it wasn't even a piggyback. He was carrying her, like, across the mantle. I, uh, I, meant, I meant to bring it up earlier because he, he said serious piggyback. Oh, right. That, right. I, I wrote that out of my piggyback. notes. <laughs> Uh, and they begin eating in the kitchen, but then they hear a noise outside, so Daryl goes to check the front door, and he finds an adorable, if extremely ragged and one-eyed, dog on the front porch, and he tries to pet it, but the dog runs away. This is a message for the AMC producers of The Walking Dead. We need a webisode all about this dog. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see this dog, like, the, the type of stuff that he went through to get to this point in his life. I would totally watch that. Right? One eyes three legged, his name was Lucky. <laughs> also, one of the funniest lines in this, or just a, a really like kind of non-funny line that I thought was pretty funny, was like Daryl tells Beth to wait, right? And then he goes and sees the dog outside, and then like Beth walks in, and Daryl's like, "I thought I told you to wait," and, and she and Beth responses, "But Daryl, you said there was a dog," and that just made like I don't know why that's funny to me, but it's just like that's okay. That was your reason because you said there was a dog. And you know what? I would have done the same exact thing. <laughs> Like, the moment you tell me that there's a dog after all this, yes, I'm going to go see that dog. But, Daryl, there's a dog. <laughs> that was her response. Um, also, for anybody who watched Talking Dead, uh, they do their little factoids about the episode. Apparently, this dog lost its eye, saving its owner from a carjacker. So, this dog is awesome. Yeah, webisode, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to see a webisode about that unless the carjacker is also a zombie, but... You're, how does this not sound amazing to you? <laughs> <laughs> It practically writes itself. <laughs> he stopped a zombie carjacker. <laughs> Meanwhile, back with Bob and Sasha. In the middle of the night, Bob is awakened by the sound of a walker, but Sasha is already awake and says it's been making noise for about an hour, and she doesn't think it's getting any closer. And they, ha they have a discussion about how sometimes animals out in the middle of nowhere just kind of go in circles sometimes and make noise, which is true and creepy. Uh, so Sasha suggests Bob gets rest so that he can heal, but he is unable to. He instead asks Sasha... Why do you think Tyrese is dead? And uh, saying if Tyrese was alive, he'd go to Terminus, and he knows that she knows that. It's another good, like, it's, it's hard to reflect on these. I mean, I'm just, they're good scenes. They're well-written. The actors are doing their job. They're expanding on what these characters are all about, and it's going to reach a conclusion that I can, you know, then talk more about. But, I mean, it's a solid scene, and, you know, we're still moving. We're not staying in one spot. We're, you know, we're trying to find Maggie slash go somewhere. And Bob continues to give good advice and be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of like I said, I kind of see this episode as like a lot of good character work and a lot of like connective tissue for the plot, getting everybody to turn this, you know. So back with Beth and Daryl, Beth is writing thank you notes to the person staying in the house uh, for the food that she and Daryl ate. Uh, Daryl suggests they can wait for the owner to return and try to live with them. And uh, Beth asks what convinced Daryl there were still good people in the world, and he just looks at her. And after a pause, she understands and, re and responds, "Oh." Uh, but before they can continue, they hear the dog barking again, so Daryl tries to let it in, but is attacked by a group of walkers. Uh, he holds the door as best he can, and he yells for Beth to leave through the window and grab her stuff before um, the walkers get in and he'll distract them. Uh, he leads them through the house, into the basement, dumb, dumb idea, hmm. and eventually gets cornered, uh, but he fights his way out pretty creatively and ma manages to escape to the graveyard where he finds Beth's bag lying on the ground and sees a car peeling out of there. And he tries to follow it, but is unable to keep up. Going to the basement is like, that's the, like the zombie mistake. Going back to like Night of the Living Dead, you know? Yeah, unless you've previously seen that there is like some other way out of that basement. Don't do that. Yes, thank you. Because even if there weren't zombies, you know, basements are just places where terrible things happen. I'm I'm not sure what the plan was here in terms for Daryl. I mean, he obviously got out of it because he's Daryl. He kills tanks, but I mean, the, <laughs> you're running down to the basement. Like he obviously he had some strategy there. He you know pulled up a gurney and then uh, pulled up another. He did his classic Daryl sneaks under the walkers move that I'm sure we all knew about <laughs> and um, runs out the same exit. I was he really not playing football in college, you know? right? Yeah, or the high cute, school. I the, guess the, more likely with him. The uh, the DD sneak. 
Um, but um, uh, he was wasting so many arrows too, which kept like annoying me so much. <laughs> Although he did manage to pick them back up on his way out, or at least one of them. He grabbed that one for sure because I was like, "And grab your arrow!" And he did. And it was like, "Thank okay, at least there's something going on here." But what, what did he yell to Bob? What did he yell to Beth? Do you remember what did he? He started yelled Beth, didn't he? Just go, get out of here, Just grab your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look yeah. back. Yeah, it was it was a good scene. Like I really liked the tension. What's the line the from Titanic? I can't remember the line from Titanic. Uh, never let go. I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, I'll never let go. Yeah, there we go. It was it was a well. I'll never let go, was, Beth. I'll never let go. It was a well crafted scene. Like when he opened that door, I expected to be like the people that lived in the house, but no, it was just a horde of zombies saying hello, and then they attacked him, and it was and it quickly got like very claustrophobic with like the hallways and everything, and it was a. I mean, Walking Dead, they they do the Walker scenes well, but it was a good one. Um, and and that's why I kind of wonder if it was more of a panic thing because – Oh, for sure, you know, yeah. claustrophobia, he's running. Did he just accidentally end up in the basement? Again, still, I'd expect better from Daryl, but I guess it kind of makes sense in that type of moment. You weren't expecting anything like that. His guard's completely down at this point. He was having a you know a friendly conversation with Beth, and you know he was drunk Sleeping off – Sleeping in a casket. Dr- drunk off pig's feet. I mean, he, he was um, – <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see the surprise aspect really, you know, outweighing the logical ways to get through a situation like this. But so that that's that. Moving on, Beth being kidnapped by like some crazy car with a cross on the back of it did not see that coming at all. <laughs> like that was something cool. Like I, I was like being caught completely off guard when The Walking Dead attempts to go that route. Like say, having... which with the cross on the back of the car, are we assuming they're definitely connected to the funeral home then? I'd be surprised if they weren't. <laughs> yeah, I would be too. I mean, you, you, we we spend the entire episode, entire sequence of the episode focused on people that aren't at this house. That's you know a funeral parlor that's probably slash church or whatever. Like it, it'd be a waste of resources, I guess, or like having too many things going on to, to not have those things connected. Just like not, just like using the same people at the end of this episode that were from the other episode. I mean, it's right. It's just efficient that way. <laughs> and, and Beth can probably pull off the sister wife look. <laughs> But the, okay, another another thing too, because I know some people on the Facebook page have been like, "How did they that car sneak up on them?" It's not like it was right next to the house. Like Daryl had to run a good couple, you know, a good quarter mile or so to get to where that car like pulled off from. So. Right? Are but we wait. thinking the people in the car brought the zombies there? I would. I think so. I mean, I don't see any other reason why walkers would suddenly go after that house aside from like some kind of lure. Well, there was a dog barking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm seriously. That's I, the kind of thing we've seen zombies be attracted to before. I actually kind of expect that dog to be involved with the people in the car. <laughs> the, the dog is the ringleader. He's the ringleader, yeah. He's the yellow king. Um, it's, it's one of those uh, <laughs> Scooby-Doo situations, or, or well, I guess it was the uh, Venture Brothers version of Scooby-Doo situations, where the owners of the dog are convinced the dog can speak and is telling them to do evil things. Yeah, some are Sam. Um, yeah, exactly. But if I mean, if I really had, if I was really speculating, I would like to think that the people that took Beth are were probably scoping out the house. Their dog belonged to them. Maybe they were scouting from a distance while seeing what the reaction would be to a dog. Kind of as they open up the doors, they can see who they're dealing with and whatnot. And that's how the dog lost the first eye. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I, it's all speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised by this fact. I think they've just scoped out the fact that there are people in their house that they, you know normally keep track of with the bodies of what in there and decide to do something about it. That's theorizing. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Bob and Sasha come across an empty town besides the tracks, and Sasha tries to convince Bob, look, this is a perfect place. We should set up camp. We should stop going on this fool's errand and just stay here. And Bob refuses. Uh, he's unable to convince Sasha to come with him, and he, he goes, I think his line was something along the lines, I'm going to try something here. He goes in for a kiss... And that doesn't work, and so they part ways. But it was worth a shot. It was a good baller move. I'm going to try something here. <laughs> uh, so. you, I mean, it's always that line, you know, not if you're the last man on Earth. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> I mean, it was hard. It was tough to read that reaction, though. I mean, I, I think there was a, as opposed to letting her, you know, embrace him or something or, you know, completely reject him, it actually had a kind of more ambiguous reaction as to where this can go from here. And Well, I think she had the same reaction I did, which is, yeah, because we're the two black people on this television show, so of course we have to pair up. Like, I, I, as much as I liked their relationship, they're still in the back of my head going, but there's so many other characters. Like, do we have to follow this age-old trope? Ooh, I, yeah, I see where you're coming from, and I don't necessarily need a romance on this show, another one anyway, but... 
what something I can admire about The Walking Dead itself <clears throat> is um, while while people you know on the internet and whatnot want to ship people and you know like are is that person hooking up with that person? What do you think? Could this happen? Like this is an actual occurrence of romance on display if you want to call it romance but some kind of um, something beyond just friendship on display and the show doesn't do that very often i mean aside from glenn and maggie which was bound to happen from the start just because of you know comic book reasons and whatnot like (laughs) the show the show resists doing that and that's something and i mean andrea i guess is the extent but that was never going to work out anyway and we knew that from the start so (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it's nice that the show doesn't play around with it all the time, and if it's going to do it, it did it this way, which was not in a way that suddenly says, oh, here we go, it's another relationship. It's just more of a, yeah, that happened. Now we're, we're past that, I guess. Yeah, I guess. So Sasha, parting ways with Bob, enters the old warehouse that she was suggesting that, hey, we should turn this into a camp. Uh, she goes up to the second floor, looks out a window, and sees Maggie lying in the center of a bunch of corpses on the ground, or off to the side at least. And uh, in, in trying to see what exactly what is what is going on and maybe get her attention, Sasha accidentally causes the window to fall out of the window frame, which uh, startles Maggie, attracts a bunch of walkers, and of course shatters and causes a bunch of noise. So Sasha goes out to help Maggie, and uh, the two of them have kind of a... a a, you know, knock down, drag out with a bunch of walkers in this ring of old vehicles, including a uh, an ice cream truck with Maggie using an old sign much more effectively than I would think you could use a sign. Yeah, that I was forget aw- what Sasha was even using. I just wanted to say that was an awesome weapon for her, that no parking sign or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. That was great. That was probably my zombie kill of the episode was the way she was slicing and dicing with that thing. I gave it to the finger painting zombie action, but yeah, that was a pretty, like when they, because I watched a little bit of Talking Dead, so I got to see the In, in Memoriam segment, and I thought <laughs> that she, I, I thought that she clocked that zombie's head clean off, but they showed it in slow motion, and yep, she clocked that zombie's head clean off. Good scene, though. Good, um, another good kind of action sequence spawned by, whoops, this entire glass frame ruined everything for everybody moment. <laughs> have you ever seen a window do that before? Because I, I don't think I have. I've seen it in movies. That's pretty much the extent. I can't even think of a movie I've seen it happen where you just push the window and the whole window falls out. But I'm sure it's happened somewhere. It's the rule 34 of movies, only not exactly. So after they have dispatched the walkers, Maggie tells uh, her that she had heard Sasha say that Glenn was likely dead and says she's wrong. And then she asks for Sasha's help in reaching Terminus, and Sasha finally agrees, and they leave to catch up with Bob. That's a big summarization of what I think is like the best written segment of the episode, where Maggie's basically conveying that she knows she needs to ask for help, and she's not like the episode deals with the idea that because it doesn't come back to Maggie very often, which I think is something that's wisely done. I think the time spent on Sasha and Bob was far more effective than showing us Maggie determined to find Glenn because we know that already. There's not much else you can expand on with that, but the uh, Maggie. She's a character who wants to find Glenn, and she's she's very focused on that. But she's not considering what she has with her, which is two you know reliable people that are you know obviously also friends of hers, and getting to that point where she realizes that yeah, I need help with this. I can't just do this on my own, and I can't just put like pride or like the thought of endangering lives in the way. It's like this is something that we can do. We have no other way of doing what we need to do, and I'm going to ask you for help because that's ultimately going to make us work together as a group and possibly get us somewhere we need to go, regardless of if we can get the exact result we want. It's just, this is the this is what we need to do, and I need you to help me do that thing. It's a good kind of aid to what Sasha's going through, where she is afraid, and she doesn't know what the right action necessarily is to do, even though she might have gut instincts saying to go one way, even though securing shelter might be another way to go. So it's just... It plays around with what this episode's dealing with, and it doesn't use Bob, which is interesting, too. Like, Bob's already, he's, he's set on what he's trying to do, and it, it just brings these, ca- these characters together to a head and leads to that, you know, eventual meet-up with Bob, which is, you know, a nice catharsis, a nice way to leave it off with. It shows them all working through the aftermath of the prison destruction, too. I mean. Yes, that, yeah, very much so, Jim, yeah. So we then catch up with Daryl, who's uh, been running for a while, it appears, and he collapses and is soon surrounded by six very heavily armed men. Uh, he jumps up and punches one of them and aims his crossbow at that guy's head. The guy, who we then see is uh, a man we'll learn whose name is Joe, but he was the guy who sat on the porch at the house uh, where Rick was, eating maybe peaches or something out of a can, uh, who was leading that group of people who terrorized Rick in that episode in that awesome sequence. Marauders. Um, but uh, it's Joe, played by Jeff Kober, 
And he gets everybody to lower their weapons, has a nice little discussion with uh, Daryl about uh, how you know a guy with a bow is serious, because anybody can just pick up a gun and use it. But, you know, if somebody's got a bowman, they're a, a bow, they're a bowman for life. And uh, then he, he tells Daryl, you know, you can just go fight off, you can just fight whoever or whatever, but wouldn't it be much more fun to actually hurt people or something along those lines? I can say the exact quote if you like, because I wrote it down. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he states, um, why hurt yourself when you can hurt other people? And, uh, Which tells that. you pretty much what you need to know about these marauders. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it wasn't too much of a stretch to predict that these guys would come back, given the kind of actor they chose, who again is not a like a not a huge character, not a very recognizable character actor necessarily compared to others that you'd easily know. But um, the moment he, I saw him, though, I was like, "Hey, it's that guy!" Yeah, you know? it's, exactly. It's that kind of face, and like I, I can name Brent, I can like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the thing that I know he's in, and I think he's on like Sons of Anarchy. Like, there's he was definitely it, on Sons of Anarchy. He yeah. did play on Buffy. He was like he was the guy that in, he he introduced Willow to Matt to dark magic. His credits oh, go. His credits right. go back to the original uh, V, the series. Oh so. yeah. Okay. Oh wow. Um, he's he was in uh, the reboot of the Twilight Zone, the '80s. MacGyver, Burn Notice, the X Files. So you're telling us he's a lizard Earth man? Two. That's what you're telling us. He may have been. I don't know. But like you said, Aaron <laughs> Buffy he was on ER, CSI, The Shield, NYPD Blue, uh, on Law and Order SVU, The Closer, Criminal Minds, Sons of Anarchy, Lost. Um, all, I mean, and and a bunch of movies as well. So. Wasn't he the, um, he was the mechanic in the last season of Lost, right? Who Kate ran into? I didn't watch Lost, I that could be, That could be true, I don't know. If I remember correctly, he showed up in the, let's just call them Flash Sideways and not spoil anybody who hasn't watched Lost, but he showed up in like one episode for three minutes, and it was almost the same situation as here where everybody went, oh, so that guy will obviously show up again, right? Because it's a recognizable face and then he unlike the show never showed up again the entire rest of the series to my knowledge so yeah he has a lot of credits but yeah. it was nice to see him here even though he's an evil bitch. I agree because it, it presents a new situation and I'll be very curious to where it goes like I don't want to do too much predicting on the show but I have my own theories on where these guys what what they're about versus what the comics know and for what the potential of the show could be given what's happening. But, um, regardless what I always, I always see these kind of scenes with Daryl where he gets into this kind of situation where he could die and everyone would of course riot as the motto is. But when Daryl's, <laughs> when Daryl's aiming the crossbow at that guy's head and he says, if you shoot me, they're all going to take you down. How like badass would it be if he just like shot a mid sentence and everyone took him down, like cut the credits. Like that'd be the craziest moment of the walking, walking in history. A thousand voices that cry out in agony. <laughs> it would be, but how badass would that be if he just shot him straight in the head after he said all that to him? It would be very similar to a scene in the last episode of uh, Breaking Bad that I won't spoil for people. So meanwhile, Maggie and Sasha catch up with Bob. I believe the same song from the beginning of the episode is playing, yes. so you don't hear what they're saying, but, you know, they all share hugs and such. Reunited at last. No longer alone. And then in the final shot and scene of the episode, uh, we see Glenn. Well, first we just see the Terminus sign. Once again, and uh, I believe you see a hand first, and then the camera pans over, and we see it is Glenn, still in his riot gear, reading the sign mentioning Terminus. We do not see any of Maggie's signs, so it's not like we've had it confirmed that he's seen her sign or that he's even going there, although we can assume, because it's television and people need to get there, that he will follow the sign anyway. But uh, that is where we end the episode. Yeah. It's a good, um, that sets everybody on the path at this point, I believe, right? I don't yeah. Yeah, because Rick believe. Michonne and Carl found a sign, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they did. And yeah, so I think that, yeah, that's everybody. Um, so yeah, they're all on their way to one location, except Beth, I guess. And Daryl, for that. Yeah, yeah so they're not true. really, yeah, they're not really on that. They got their own thing going on. So do you think they're going to stretch out them all arriving in Terminus to the end of the season, or are we going to see it beforehand? I hope we see it beforehand, like maybe next episode, even. I'd be surprised if we did at this point, given... It's it's hard to predict at this point because like we previously were saying like yeah like the next four episodes will probably be this way and then we'll change to something else but now at this point it's like well it seems like the whole season's gonna be this kind of pattern but well I mean there's only three episodes left this season mm -hmm. from the previews of next week but I won't spoil what's in them but I don't think we saw all the groups we saw maybe two of them so I have a feeling that if we do see Terminus it would only be at the very end with maybe one or two of those groups arriving there that leaves only two episodes left do you introduce a brand new set and location that presumably you'd use in another season in the last 
scene? Like, maybe if it's just Terminus is right over this hill and that's the last shot of season four, or... It depends on... Or it's them going, let's not go there, it's a silly place. It depends on how certain (laughs) characters show their hands, I guess. Like, who's based out of where, I guess is the the way to say it. Yeah, that's true. If the Marauders are from Terminus and it's a trap or something like that. Yeah, or even the the Beth kidnapping thing. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of balls in the air of how this can proceed, but with only three episodes left, it doesn't really make too much... I don't care too much to predict exactly what's going to happen at this point. I would say it's probably more likely that our groups reunite right outside of Terminus and and maybe meet some people from that area but don't go there yet. Or again, it turns out to be something terrible and so they decide not to go there. But I, I've, I have a feeling that if Terminus is going to be a long-term thing, it's we don't really see it this season or not in a big way. I'm I'm just guessing, but again, we'll see. So before we get into our Buster ratings, Russ, why don't you tell us about our sponsor? Our sponsor for the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCB Service. And uh, this month, there are a ton of great specials on at Discount Comic Book Service. One of the things I want to mention for all of you uh, Walking Dead TV show listeners or even casual comic readers, uh, if you if you are interested... Uh, we did a show recently uh, during the break that kind of caps encapsulated uh, a lot of character comparisons and, and going through like the first 48 issues. And uh, d- this month at Discount Comic Book Service, Image has resolicited uh, the first nine hardcover volumes of The Walking Dead. So each hardcover is typically what we consider two trades. So it's roughly 12 issues. Uh, so those those nine hardcovers would pretty much catch you up to what's going on in the comic. The tenth hardcover hasn't been solicited yet, uh, but they're all forty percent off, and it, it brings the price from thirty four ninety nine down to twenty dollars and ninety nine cents for that. The first trade volume of a book that uh, most of us on one of the sister podcasts, The Long Box of Doom, are very uh, big favorites of is uh, Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera's. Black Science. The first trade paperback for that is uh, regular cover price nine ninety nine. You can get it for fifty percent off at four ninety nine, and that is an incredible steal uh, for one of the books that we rated uh, one of the tops of two thousand and thirteen. Also, the all of the brand new Marvel and DC hardcovers and trades are all fifty percent off. Um, as always, uh, the new these are the new solicits for March. You have until the end of the month, typically, to get them in. But if you say, "Oh shoot, it's March. I forgot to put February's order in," have no fear. Uh, they are happy to take late orders. So get that over to them. Just shoot them an email, letting them know. Uh, the customer service is always outstanding. Never have any any issues with shipping or uh, packaging. So. Uh, again, head on over to DCBService.com, and we thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Thank you very much, Russ. All right, so let's talk about our Buster ratings. Uh, let's not go alphabetically this time. Jim, what was your Buster rating for this week's episode? Give it a four out of five. There was some solid acting, solid character work. Like I said, it was kind of connective tissue getting everybody to turn this. Um, they didn't try to overcrowd it with too many cast members in one episode, so they were able to focus on what was going on, which I appreciated. Um, the, the little, you know, plot twists here and there, um, the little things that they encounter along the way, I, I, I liked as well. Um, so yeah, four out of five busters for me. Aaron, what did you think of this week's episode? Um, after a slight diversion, I'm back to the standard four out of five rating here. I mean, these episodes generally work for me, and this is another one that does its job. Like Jim said, it, you know, provides kind of connected tissue for where things are going, where people are headed, but also has that strong characterization work for characters that I previously you know, didn't know too much about, while also continuing on the story of Beth and Daryl in a place that um, intrigues me, because I don't know where this storyline is going, necessarily. So I will make it the hat trick and also give it a four out of five. Like you guys said, uh, it was utilitarian. It did what it needed to do. It did it well. Nothing in it really blew me away, but everything they set out to do, they accomplished, and they accomplished well. So a four out of five for me. Uh, I would now send it over to Russ for his Buster ratings, but his connection flaked out, and so we'll have to find out from him next week what he thought of the episode. But, uh, hey, we got a hat trick, so that's at least fun. But we do have the thoughts of Brad Milo. Yeah, Brad sent us a voicemail, so let's play that now. Hey, guys, just a quick note about the latest episode of The Walking Dead. Compared to last week's... This was like a home run hit out of the park, in my opinion. I think I said on the Facebook thread, compared to last week's episode, this episode gets 20 busters. It was just a complete 180, in my opinion. It was wonderful. 
Lots of good scares, lots of creepy scenes. Yeah, we had Death and Beryl. Death and Beryl. Wow. Beth and Daryl. Gee, many Christmas. Beth and Daryl. We had them, but they were, for some reason, they were fun to watch this week. I'm not sure why, but the scene in the basement when he was trapped with all the walkers, that was crazy. I really liked seeing uh, how the show opened, seeing how Bob came to be with the group. That was really interesting. Bob has never been an interesting character to me until now. Now I give a rat's behind about him. For some reason, knowing that he was alone for so long and then finally found a group he could stay with, for some reason that really makes him an interesting character to me. Uh, There was something else. I'm at work, snuck out to my car to uh, record this so I could send it off to you guys. Sorry I can't join you. The stuff with Maggie and Sasha killing the zombies, you know, when she was taking a snooze on the ground and then she woke up and then Sasha ran down to help her. That was pretty awesome. There was something else specifically I was going to say about this, and I can't recall what it is right now. Maybe I'm a little preoccupied with wondering, like worrying about my manager wondering where I am. (laughs) I shouldn't be doing this while I'm working, but like I said, I wanted to get this, get my thoughts down. On its own, I believe this episode merits a four and a half busters. I really liked it. Bob's cool now. Maggie was a tough chick in this one, cutting a zombie open because she ran out of ink. That was pretty crazy. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. The group that Daryl hooks up with at the end were the same guys. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but I was surprised to figure out they were the same guys that had Rick trapped under the bed. So that's neat. That's a little bit of continuity. If we met the one guy that was talking to Daryl, if we met him in that previous episode, was he the one with the tennis ball? I can't recall, but he looked vaguely familiar, but I really don't remember what the one guy whose face we saw in the Death and <laughs> did it again, Beth and Daryl episode. I don't remember what he looked like, but if that was the guy here that was talking to Daryl, then you know that makes sense. Plus, the guy who was choked unconscious and fell to the ground and saw Rick underneath the bed, he was one of the guys that was holding the gun on Daryl at the end of this episode. So, a little bit of continuity there I really liked. I'm sure you guys have mentioned all this, but uh, I just wanted, wanted to. Uh, let you guys know that I really think this episode turned it around, and uh, I like Bob now. He's cool. All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Thank you very much, Brad. Yeah, Bob, <laughs> I agree. Bob is awesome now, and it was nice to see that continuity between the two groups. Yeah, we didn't mention the um, the one secondary guy to Joe. Uh, we've got a, the names for these different uh, henchmen, if you will, uh, on yeah. the Wikipedia page. There's, but there's gen- general names, Dan, Harley, Lynn, Sleepy, Dopey, Happy, Billy. Dopey. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know which ones are which, but uh, yeah, the guy who got choked out in the Rick episode, who saw Rick, he's still alive. He's not dead, uh, which was talked about on the Facebook group, uh, and of course Brad mentioned it as well. But uh, yeah, he knows that Rick was there. He would theoretically, unless his brain cells were destroyed by the lack of oxygen, recognize Rick in the future. So that could be very, very interesting. I like death and barrel. <laughs> As do I. This kind of reminds me of like Brangelina or something, you know, or Creighton Barrow. I do agree with what Brad was kind of hint, saying there, though. I mean, I, I I don't know what it is necessarily that makes made them more um, enjoyable to watch this episode, but I, I saw that in it. I, I just it's probably the momentum of what was going on. And, I mean, a creepy funeral parlor never hurts, I guess either. So, <laughs> Jim, what did our listeners on Facebook think about this week's episode? Well, they were uh, there. A lot of them were in tune with us, but. Um, this is uh, the group that he's referring to as the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. Uh, we're happy to have you as members. Please join us. There's a lot of cool news that comes up there. There are always links to Aaron's reviews on uh, theyoungfolks.com and uh, a lot of good discussion and funny stuff and all kinds of great stuff. So please check out our, our Facebook group, the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. Uh, Brian Arnold gave it four out of five jars of pig's feet. Uh, Leslie Johnson, five. Awesome. And I'm going to bet that next week's will be a five as well. Kevin Barry, four out of five one-eyed dogs. Uh, to throw a comparison out there, this stretch of episodes has reminded me of Stephen King's The Stand. Um, I could definitely see that, you know, a smaller group of people dealing with post-apocalyptic situation, you know. Yeah. Everard Santa Maria, 3.9 coffin bunk beds out of five. I want to give it less, but if I loved it last week, I should at least like this one. Uh, <laughs> Terry Bernard, 4.25 out of five. With only three episodes left. I'm sure the slow stuff will pay off. Uh, Mike Jones, three Beth remixes out of five. Daryl secures the house so Beth can play piano and make a crap ton of noise. Hmm, he does have a point. Let's see, uh, Belinda Clark Hague, three abandoned uh, ice cream trucks out of five. 
Not only didn't Daryl and Beth hear the car, but their trap must have been dismantled for the herd to be at the door when he opened it. Uh, 3.75, Daryl giving Beth bedroom eyes from the coffin out of five from Chub Toad. That sounds like a Chub <laughs> we Toad love you, thing Rich. to say. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Sarah Ann Howard, 3.75, zombie inkwells. <laughs> um, 3.5, serious piggyback rides out of five from Samantha Joppy. Uh, Susan Monk, 3.8, weaponized road signs. Yeah, I know, man. She's like a samurai with that thing. Uh, Christine Webb, 4.1, Daryl and Coffin out of 5. Love Daryl and Beth this week. Dislike Sasha, Bob, and Maggie. Uh, 4.25, Creepy Morgs out of 5 from Brent Jones. This one hooked me right back in, even after my distaste of the last two episodes. Uh, 4 out of 5, Sad Daryls from Max Sofer. 3.85, Decapitations with a no parking sign out of 5 from S.P. Barrera. Uh, Harold Turk, 3.75, Phantasm Hearses. Yeah, nice shout out, Harold. Good one. Uh, Shalem uh, Bessivienga, I uh, give 4.25 Daddy Daryls out of 5. <laughs> you know they got freaky in that coffin. Never seen Daryl so happy the next morning. Oh my. Four point four out of five white trash brunches from Mary Terpecchia. Uh, four point five from our own Brad Milo, as we heard. Uh, Twenty busters, if he could, um, but no. Four point five. He really, really liked that episode. Uh, three out of five silent bobs for Ian Timms. Uh, four out of five for Luke Smith. This episode had me for the two most scary scenarios: zombies coming at you from all angles and dense fog, and being trapped in a confined space. Let's see, Richard Richard Choppenberry Charrington. Because it's four jars of peanut butter eaten out of five. Uh, love how they're concentrating only a few characters at a time. Uh, 3.5 out of five. Thank God for that moments. Out of, uh, from uh, Shane Jenkins. Uh, Trisha Terrell Collins gives us four out of five. Maggie using blood sharpies. And uh, if you would like to let your voice be heard and your ratings given on The Walking Dead and also talk to a lot of other like-minded fans, please come join us on The Walking Dead Facebook group. On the Facebooks. It's a, yes, it's it a fun group to be a part of, that's for sure. And as I mentioned, Aaron does a review of it pretty much every episode, and those are available uh, on the what theyoungfolks.com and uh, also linked from that Facebook group. Yeah, appreciate that, Jim. Yeah, it is it, it is fun to kind of write full on reviews of every week's episode. And I'm happy to kind of share it around and I like you know, to help the young people when I can. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so without any further ado, that's it for this show. You can leave us a voicemail, 972-798-3830. That's 972-798-3830. Or send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Check out walkingdeadtv.com and hhwlod.com for all of our great shows, like Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, Jersey Shore, The Ichapod, Crane Cast, Shake and Not Stir, The Action Lab Podcast. If you like it, if it's nerdy, there's a good chance we have a podcast or three about it. We should also mention our Top 20 Movie List episode from uh, Half Hour Wasted and uh, Long Box of Doom game together, all of us together, uh... Talking about our aggregate uh, top 20 movie list. That was a pretty exciting episode. Absolutely. If you head over to the HHWLOD Master Feed or to the Half Hour Wasted Feed, check out episode 363, in which uh, our own Russell Latham joined Brad, Bill, and Frank in studio to talk about our list of the top 20 movies ever made, as according to the HHWLOD Podcast Network. And, uh, Jim, John, and I also joined them over Skype, so it was a ton of fun. That's a that's a fun episode. Um, that's well worth checking out. And I know um, us over at Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're planning on doing something to that effect as well. And um, when we get to our 150th episode in about two months' time, well, we also have already recorded a show for Jersey Shore about that same topic. So uh, there's going to be a lot of fun movie talk on the network for the next next while. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. Aaron is at Aaron's PS4. Jim is at Yoda Jones. Russ, who, like we said, his connection failed, but uh, his account is at R Latham, L A T H A M. And I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. And so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember the sign said no parking. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> I saw the sign. Parking strictly enforced in this area. (laughs) Violators will be decapitated. The yellow zone is for loading and zombies and unloading zombies only. Decapitated trying to fight it. And uh, next week on The Walking Dead, episode 414 is entitled, and if you don't want to know any of this, cut out now, have a good week, but the title of the episode is The Grove. (laughs) And the... Scary trees. (laughs) 
Oh, if we have any Evil Dead style trees, that's going to be very creepy. Uh, the very vague synopsis we have from AMC is the group finds a place to establish a new shelter. Could that mean that they get determinus next week? We shall see. Or does it just mean that they found a really nifty tarp? Only time will tell, folks. Have a good one. Uh, so once they've finished dispatching the walkers, Maggie tells... That is not a sentence, Wikipedia. That is not a sentence. So long. Farewell. Happy pig's feet. No, you're supposed to say, as Vita Jane, good night. Happy pig's feet. It's oh, a way I better closing bar. <laughs> yeah, I hate that movie. Good night. I, I, like, I liked Happy Pig's Feet. With the penguins all dancing yeah. around and everything. Right, with <laughs> the great. pigs. And Sweet. eating the pigs. Yeah. yeah. When the penguins go to war with the pigs, that's I, a crazy flight scene. Happy Pigs Feet 2 was a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know. Now, how would you like to against up? <laughs> oh, sorry. Against what? <laughs> I said, how would you rank it against Surf's Up? Isn't that another Penguin movie? I actually like Surf's Up quite a bit. I'm still recording, by the way. I actually like Surf's Up quite a bit. I think it's a fun take. I like it more than Happy Feet. But anyway, I'm going to stop recording Oh, good now. to know. <laughs> <laughs> so will I.